2: Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
3: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 43 The Beginning of the Interval. Previously on the Fan of History, Adad Nerari III fights to keep the Assyrian Empire from falling to pieces, while Urartu grows even stronger to the north, in what is today Armenia. Well, Dan, it looks like there were some iTunes comments.
4: Sweet. I have one in Swedish as well, but yeah.
3: you go first. I'll go first. This was actually back on April 27th when we did the other one. But Apple, in its infinite wisdom, only, allows, only allowed me to see three comments total on the page. But if I went into iTunes, this one was up here. So sorry for the delay. We have M. Truitt wrote... I love history, but I hate driving. With an hour-long commute, I've been searching for an educational and entertaining podcast. This is it. Dan covers world history in 10-year chunks and has a fun perspective on events. He and Brennan bring historical figures to life, even hypothesizing what their ancient thoughts and motives were. One thing I hope will improve is the audio quality. Me too, buddy. I think it's Brennan's mouse clicking or background that's somewhat distracting. Yeah, I know. I, I actually, from the time you wrote this, I have encased my microphone in a protective barrier. So hopefully that will cut it down. This podcast is everything it set out to be informative, entertaining, and thought provoking. Well done. Well, thank you. I shall erect an obelisk on an obscure mountain for you. If you do, please send pics and we will post them. <laughs>
4: Awesome! That's all we want.
3: <laughs> my my life goal
4: will have been met. Well, I have an much. iTunes review here on um, in Swedish, but okay. I'll translate it. It's from Athletic Jogini, who gives us five stars. Yeah, right. and says uh, very exciting and inspiring pod about history. I strongly recommend this one. Okay, so now we have something to live up to. I know. I feel pressure. <laughs> yeah, let's... Oh. Okay, yeah. We, are, we are in the 70, 780s BC. <clears throat> yes. And Adad-Nirari III is the king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Assyria is still the strongest state in the Near East, but Durartu is a close second. Adad-Nirari is the sixth king of the empire, and internal forces are weakening the empire. But the king is all focused on eternal threats. Not sensing the danger from within. Uh Uh-oh. This will not go well. So, the interval is a period of Assyrian decline. So, just to give events away. (laughs) And let's stop talking about the Assyrians and mention the Etruscans. Because this is the first period where you can talk about Etruscans in Italy. Oh, wow. And as I mentioned before, we now know that Etruscans never invaded Italy. They came from Italy. Their DNA was sold in 2013. Uh, They are the next phase of the Villanovan civilization. And you kind of talk of 800 to 750 BC as the pre-Etruscan period. Okay. But they do have contacts with the Greeks in the Bay of Naples. There is a colony of the Greeks in the Bay of Naples already. It was set up by the island of Euboea. Uh, there are contacts between Etruscans and Phoenician traders. There is no writing in uh, Etruria, but they could uh, get influenced by writing them because the Phoenicians have writing already. Right. There is definitely no Etruscan League. When you talk about Etruscans, you often talk about 600 BC, when they have the Etruscan League and they are at the the height of their power. So this is still very early for them.
3: But it's coming up quick, though.
4: It is. And uh, Rome, then, as I've said before, will enter our narrative being one of the Etruscan cities in the League, pretty much in 616 BC. So no Romulus and Remus on this podcast because that's a fairy tale.
3: (laughs) Yes. Romulus and Remus.
4: But the place where things really are happening in the 780s are in Urartu. And these are the final years of Menua, the king of Urartu. And the Assyrians still deny his existence. He's never mentioned by the Assyrians. Uh, But the Urartians are mentioning him. And he himself is mentioning himself. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And he is the master of fortifications. He conquers more territory in every other direction than Assyria. He is building walls against Assyria. And he even goes to the southeast, sort of going around Assyria to the east. Hmm. He is the first monarch in Western Asia to develop the process of conquest by systematically planning lines of fortresses and defensive posts. This is very much what Hadrian did for the Roman Empire. But it's getting done a thousand years earlier by this guy. Oh, wow. He also built canals that are still in use today. And uh, he, of course, named it the Minua Canal. <laughs> but now it's uh, renamed to Samramsu, which means the river of Semiramis. Semiramis. Yeah, because uh, there's this canal that is really old. It must be Semiramis, Semiramis who built it. Semiramis did it. <laughs> yeah, the queen of the universe. Man, that lady, she did so much. And this canal is 75 kilometers long. How long is that in miles? 50 miles. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. From the Hozap Valley to Lake Waam, or the Lake Van area. Uh, the Nairi Sea, Lake Van, this huge lake, has no fresh water. So they needed to get fresh water to the, the old capital of Urartu. Right. There are also huge cisterns and vineyards built at this time. A lot of bronze working. And uh, Manua rules Urartu for 24 years, between 810 and 1786 BC, And there is much debate about the exact dates, but it seems to be 24 years. And then, he dies. Probably then in 786 BC, leaving the title to his son, Argishti. who becomes the king in this year. And Menua's role is uh, to be the sower, and his son and his grandson will reap. So, Argishti, the king of Urartu, is uh, a pretty aggressive fellow who doesn't care much about canals or building fortresses, but he wants to attack people. Well, that and makes we sense. <laughs> That's, yeah, the, that's now, the fun part, right? Yeah, dad built a lot of stuff. Let's put it to good use. And we have his annals. Um, There is a lot of records from this period, and we have the longest inscriptions of any Urartian monarch comes from this Argishti. There is some of it that we can't uh, understand today, Mm. especially the geographic terms, because the Urartians have like place names that match no other place names. So we don't know if they are making stuff up or not, but it's probably not uh, just very hard to understand what they're doing. They they sort of discover, they attack and conquer all of these kingdoms that nobody has ever heard of. In uh, 786 to 784 BC, the Urartians go to war to the southeast and north, and their influence is spreading Do you remember Pygmalion? I do. He was the brother of Dido, the founder of Carthage. Yep. And he chased her away and kept ruling in Phoenicia. He is very much a historical figure. And in 785 BC, he dies. And then we sort of lose track of Phoenicia. Hmm. So we know about him. He's confirmed from several sources, but we don't know who succeeded him. And we don't know very much about Phoenicia at all before 750 BC. And uh, Phoenicia is probably better off in this unknown period than in 750 BC when bad stuff will happen to Phoenicia.
3: (laughs) It's funny how we don't have a lot of written stuff down from Phoenicia.
4: From the inventors of the alphabet. Yes. All the writing is lost because they thought Paper, that's a really good thing to write on. Right. Oh, Instead wow. of stone, like the- those <laughs> primitive Assyrians.
3: Right, that, that's the future right there, paper. How funny. <laughs> yeah,
4: they thought so. The paper full office. That's the Phoenician way. <laughs> but they are still colonizing the Mediterranean in a very trade-focused way. They are supplying the Neo-Assyrian Empire with luxury goods. And they are doing well in Phoenicia. So in 785 BC, Adar Nirari III has to attack somebody, and he decides to attack Kubushkia. And this is an anti-Urartu act, because Kubushkia is the border area between Assyria and Urartu. And this campaign is probably led by the field marshal, the Tutanu Shamshi-Ilu, who we have talked about quite a lot. He is kind of inclined to be there in the north. That's where his birth territory is. And he seems to be acting out of Fort uh, Shalmaneser, the Bit Adini capital that Shalmaneser conquered. So he's the Aramean warlord with an Assyrian army, pretty much as we have talked about before. In, seven, in the 785 campaign, there is a very cryptic note that says Anu the Great went to Dur. And Dur is a place in Babylonia. Okay. So that doesn't seem to have anything to do with Kubushkia. So I don't understand it. I don't know who Anu the Great is. Sounds kind of like a god.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing there's
4: no mention of any king or ruler called Anu. Maybe they took a Kubushkian god and sent him to Babylonia. It's like, here you go, Babylonians.
3: (laughs) Here, you keep this.
4: Yeah, you have a new god in your town. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> and uh, the next year in 784 BC, pretty much exactly the same thing happens. So there's a fight in Kibushkia. Anu the Great doesn't go to there because he already did last year. Yeah. But uh, nothing else.
0: Have ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
1: Happens, and there
4: are no decisive results, but in 783 BC, uh, a terrible thing happens in Assyria oh, no. and this is the true beginning of the interval. Of course, the third he III, he dies in 783 BC, apparently of old age. He has been ruling the empire for 28 years, since 811 BC, when his dad was all over Babylonia.
3: Wow. So Nirari died the worst death of an Assyrian king.
4: Yeah, but they never die in combat. Remember that? They always die of old age. Oh, that's right. Or they get murdered by usurpers, but they never die <laughs> fighting the enemy. With one great exception we'll come to by the end of this century. Okay. But Adad-nirari III, nobody remembers him. If you ask people about the great Assyrian kings, they don't mention him. But I think he was pretty good. Because maybe he, he couldn't stop this process of weakening. He couldn't stop the nobles from getting powerful. But he, he did such stuff. He was always acting, always doing things. I think he was the guy that comes to the office and just does what he's supposed to do every day. And he works the extra hours. He has no imagination. He won't go out of his way to invent something new. But he puts in the work. Right. And I think that's what he did for 28 years. He was saving the Empire. I think the interval could have begun much earlier. But he didn't. So he kind of kept the boat going. He had a lot of sons. I think they all did, pretty much. He probably had tens and tens of sons. Okay. But noticeably, he has two sons named... Or maybe even four sons. So I'll give you some names. He has a son named Shalmaneser.
3: Shalmaneser, that sounds familiar.
4: Yeah, that's the crown prince. Uh, he has a son named Asher Dan. He might have a son named Ashurnirari. These are all old all, all king names. And okay. he maybe, maybe, maybe had a son named Bool. Hmm. That's not the king name. But thus begins the interval, and it will last last between 782 BC to 745 BC, when something really special will happen. Okay. But in the life of an empire, we have had a good run here with the Assyrians. This has lasted for 130 years. That, that's a pretty good empire.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a dynasty.
4: Yeah, so th- this is this should have been the end. Th- there should be a period of decline and then the empire should leave the scene, but the events in 745 BC will radically change that. So it's a, a pretty bad situation for the new kingdom, Shalmaneser IV, the son of the III, who takes the throne in 783 BC. And the first thing we note why this is bad is that there are no pictures of this guy. Uh-oh. There are no representations of him. We have no idea what he looked like. We probably know that he had a huge beard and looked exactly <laughs> the same as every other Syrian king. Right. But he doesn't claim... There, there are no pictures of him. There are no great inscriptions of him. It's like This guy wasn't making an impression.
3: That's unfortunate for him.
4: And then the sources dry up, which is also a bad sign. When the Assyrians are not winning everywhere, they don't tell us anything.
3: Right. They don't write it down if they aren't the winners.
4: So it's like nothing to see here. Moving on. <laughs> it is possible that the IV was completely dominated by powerful nobles, and the most important of those would then be Shamshi-Ilu, the field marshal, uh, and that he was maybe just the figurehead king. So maybe he was confined to his palace and like, sit here, be cool, we'll, we'll rule the provinces. So never confuse him with the ultra-powerful king Shalmaneser I or Shalmaneser III, because this is Shalmaneser IV. Not much to see here.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're just going to sweep that under the rug.
4: And one of the great sources that dry up here is the Synchronistic History. This is a pretty interesting document, and we have used it quite a bit. I haven't talked a lot about it, but it is very likely that it was uh, finalized uh, at the end of the reign of Adam III, because it's a history about Assyria and Babylonia. This is extremely useful for dating events, as it talks about the history of both kingdoms. But you can read between the lines in the Synchronistic History that it is written by somebody who really liked Assyria.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Very pro-Assyrian.
4: Yes, and there is, there will be, next century, there will be a Library of Alexandria-like thing, the Library of Ashurbanipal. And in this library... Which was, uh, which was discovered in modern times. Uh, there were three tablets from this synchronistic history, and that has been very useful for reconstructing the Assyrian history. But uh, the last notes in uh, the synchronistic history says that uh, in this period, Babylonia repeatedly violated boundary agreements in the East Tigris area. The Babylonians were threatened with Assyrian vengeance, but the empire was no longer able to deliver such vengeance. And the days of Shamshi Adad V were in the past. So Babylonia is sort of slipping out of Assyrian control. Remember, Babylonia was beat to a pulp right. by Shamshi V.
3: It's amazing that they still had enough of them. Enough of their own identity left after that to pull away, you know what I mean?
4: Yeah, well, the seems concept like, of yeah. Babylonia seems to be so strong yeah. that people just try to restore it whenever they get a chance. This, this kingdom is a thousand years old, Babylonia. Right. right. This, uh, so in Babylonia for this decade then, it's a period of chaos and instability. Uh, They are still suffering from the effects of the invasion of Shamshadad, which was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, The Arameans in Babylonia, they do what they always do in times of chaos. They return to the wilderness and start plundering stuff. Uh, The Kassites disappear up the Zagros Mountains into their own kingdom. And the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, they increase their influence and they try to seem like the ones who try to preserve this Babylonian identity. There is a king called Marduk-Belseri who claims to have ruled Babylonia between 790 and 780 BC. But we don't know anything about him, we don't have much written records. So Babylonia is in a much worse shape still than Assyria is. And it's almost like Babylonia is back in the state it was in, in 1000 BC. Hmm. So things don't look good for Babylonia, but still they are able to resist the weak Assyrian Empire. But in 783, in the, the first year of the new king of Assyria, Shalmaneser IV, uh, we have a record of a, th- a war. Remember, the Assyrians have to go to war every year. Every year. And in the eponymous year of Inurta Nasir, the governor of Masamua, Shalmaniser IV attacks Itua. And the Itua, they were an Aramean tribe. It's unclear where they lived. They might have been in Babylonia or they might have already been conquered by the Assyrians and revolted this year. And the next year, exactly the same thing will happen. But we don't know how it went, or if the Assyrians defeated this Armean tribe, or if it is still running around. <laughs> they just say, yeah, we're going, we're back. <laughs> yeah, and you, you kind of get the feeling that the Assyrians sometimes just fill in somebody. Like, there was a knife fight in Etua, so maybe maybe we write that down here. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: One of our dudes got drunk and beat up one of their dudes. We win. But it,
4: it's still <laughs> a sign of somewhat good health for the Empire, because there will come those dreaded years when the king stays at home
2: Uh-oh.
4: in this record. And that's, that's the worst thing they can write.
3: Yikes. I would so feel, that's ba-
4: it. I'd feel bad for them if
3: that happened. <laughs> yeah, it will happen very soon. <laughs> all right well that is that is a big change from what we're used to hearing about assyria and now we have the etruscans to take up some time very cool and yes we are too
4: but agishti is a very very active king and we'll hear more about him excellent I'm well, trying to get an interview for him with him for the next episode. We'll so see how that
3: goes. See if you can find Argishti in Urartu. Well we'll see what we can do. I'll work on that. But yeah, we'll have our people call his people. See yep. what happens. Alright, so I guess in the next episode, Argishti of Urutu of Urartu, I don't even know what I just said then, founds Ooh, I can't even pronounce these words. Yerevan. Yerevan. The modern capital. Of Armenia, Oh, yes. There will also be some serious fighting between Assyria and Urartu. And if you ask the Assyrians, the Urartu, Yeah, if
4: you ask the Assyrians, right? there was fighting, but...
3: Oh, but it, it, the Urartuans deny it. Yes. <laughs> so, no, Assyria goes, no, 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 we, we beat them up, we promise. And Urartu's like, uh, no... <laughs> Who
4: are you guys? Yeah,
3: what what were you doing? All right, well, please go to YouTube, like and subscribe, and also share with your friends. And as you s- heard earlier, give us a review on iTunes, and we'll read it. So, don't forget Facebook.com/slash fan of history. Also, the fan Patreon/slash fan of history you can follow me at cerulean says hi and also dan at dan horning on twitter yes so for this week i am brennan and i'm dan and this has been the fan of history
0: if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hold up. What was that?